Welcome to the Silver Linings Podcast. I'm Marissa Whitaker. I work with students discussing the relationship between substance use and their well-being. And I'm Jen Tallarico. I'm a senior mental health counselor. We work in Conley Counseling and Wellness, and we are passionate about understanding the human condition. Sometimes life can be tough. This podcast acknowledges life's complexities by using an optimistic and humorous approach. When was the last time you really felt well-rested? We know the importance of sleep, but why are some of us so bad at it? Today, we are talking about why sleeping can be hard, why melatonin has its drawbacks, and end on a silver lining with some tips to help with sleep. Speaking of sleep, let's start with some data. (laughs) The CDC recommends that college students or any adult between the ages of 18 and 60 get between seven to nine hours of sleep a night. A third of U.S. adults report that they usually get less than the recommended amount of sleep. And not getting enough sleep is linked with many chronic diseases and conditions, such as type 2 diabetes, heart disease, obesity, and depression. And the National Institute of Health identifies that good quality sleep can actually heal and repair our heart and our blood vessels. It can help support a healthy balance of our hormones that make us feel hungry or full. It can support healthy growth and development. So the hormone that boosts muscle mass, it can help repair muscle tissues and cells as well. And good quality sleep can also affect your body's ability to fight germs and sickness. So ongoing sleep deficiency can actually change the way your body's natural defense against germs and sickness responds. So, for example, if you're sleep deficient, you might have trouble fighting common infections and colds. So if this all sounds a little bit removed from you yourself, let's talk a little bit about what our campus is experiencing. Our students are sleep deprived. The 2022 Student Health Survey conducted on our campus consistently shows that over half or almost half of our students report being seriously sleep deprived. So this isn't you got like one hour or less. This is you wake up feeling unrested multiple nights a week. And a lot of this comes with being a college student with a full class load, your social life. Maybe some people have a job. Some of us are just bad sleepers. So, Jen, why are some of us bad sleepers? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Like we, We've heard this probably our whole lives, like thinking back to when we were kids and we had a bedtime. So you would think we've known this for several years, so why are we so bad at it? Um, I think sometimes the inability to sleep really lies in our environmental factors. So, you know, more of a problem with our surroundings, you know, and I'm definitely guilty of this myself. I'm sure you are too. Um, the hypocrisy episode. <laughs> <laughs> falling asleep with the TV on or with our phones on you know, the the bright light can definitely signal for our body to be alert, be awake. Um, and also, you know, thinking of the, the college experience, maybe you're sharing a, a tiny room and space now with someone you don't know all that well, which can be uncomfortable. Or, you know, you're sharing a space with someone all of a sudden that is snoring a lot or their, you know, rhythm of when they go to bed or when they fall asleep is much different from your own. And also, you know, even if you get along well with your roommate, maybe there's a rager going on next door and, you know, making it all that much more difficult to actually fall asleep. And so, you know, aside from the environmental factors, I think sometimes looking at ourselves and what are we contributing to this? Because just as you said, I think we all know what we need to do to fall asleep. But I think the problem is that it's it's just hard. Like we know what we should do, but we're not always doing it. Um, Sometimes our fear of missing out comes into play. And yes, this can be your fear of missing out with things that are going on with your friends, social activities, and sometimes new the technology fear of missing out. This happens so much with like shows that are streaming now. There are spoilers the next day if you're not catching up with watching the whole entire series in one night. 
So you stay up to watch these shows. Doom scrolling. Yeah. Right. I think like for that. Yeah. yeah. It's like where you're, you're all of a sudden you, you can't go to sleep because of what you're reading. And absolutely. Yes. I just, it, that anxiety. And yes, I know I'm really in a situation where I'm like, holding my phone and then the phone falls and hits my face and then it wakes me up. I'm like, just put the phone down, but we're not here for me today. <laughs> but I think it's really interesting too. How does this impact our students though, Jen? Yeah, I think our students by nature experience really long days with their schedules. So this could be maybe you're maybe you're even like starting a class at 8am, but you're getting up at seven to finish an assignment. And then throughout the day you have classes, maybe internships, maybe other academic requirements. And then after hours, you're now going to clubs or sports or jobs and then trying to come home and find time to eat, to study, to socialize. I mean, that could take you what till to midnight till later possibly. Um, Again, and there's that of of social jet lag that we can get from all this too. So even if this isn't a daily thing you experience, which I think is one, again, doing a, a 12 to 16 hour day <laughs> every day is a huge thing, obviously. But then even if it's just on the weekends, that social jet lag, like what about a Monday morning crash, right? We don't just bounce back because we want to, our body doesn't bounce back like that. So I think really everyone listening and thinking about where, when does your day start? What's it like throughout the day? Where When does your day end? And then how many hours of sleep are you really getting restful yeah. sleep off of that? Yeah. I was talking to a student a couple semesters ago and they're like, well, you know, I have practice that starts at nine. I'm like, get up. It's nine o'clock. And they're like, no, at 9 p.m. So mm-hmm. if your practice is starting late, you're getting out at what, 10, 11. And then who goes right from working out to immediately falling asleep? That wind down, like you have to give yourself time to kind of decompress at the end of the day. So kind of switching gears a little bit to how people fall asleep. Sometimes people use substances to fall asleep. And then sometimes they're using substances after using other substances that prevent sleep. I'm looking at you, Caffeine. So for example, (laughs) cannabis and alcohol both impact your ability to hit that REM sleep state, rapid eye movement, which is where dreaming occurs and also what your body needs to recover and then ultimately rest from your day. So cannabis in particular, I talk to a lot of students, you know, when talking about substance use, that they're using cannabis to help fall asleep. And it may help you fall asleep, but the jury and the science is really still lacking in the sleep quality that someone's getting. So falling asleep and staying asleep can be two very different things. Bottom line, we need more research and data because the data is kind of mixed right now as to where cannabis falls with sleep benefits. But as I said before, after using substances that prevent sleep, You can't be having your ice macchiato at like nine o'clock and then expect to fall asleep a couple hours later. That caffeine is going to be in your system and then using cannabis or something to fall asleep after you've had a coffee, that's not going to be beneficial, especially in the long term. What about something like melatonin, Marissa? I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) Weird you would ask that question. Oh my gosh, almost like we knew that we were going to talk about that. (laughs) So strange. I happen to have some notes on that. Even melatonin falls into this category, which is really wild because melatonin is actually a hormone that your brain produces in response to darkness. So this can help with the timing of your circadian rhythm, which is that 24-hour internal clock that we have, and with sleep. This was not designed to be a long-term situation, Mm -hmm. and melatonin is actually regulated as a dietary supplement, which is why you often find this in like the vitamin aisle. But because it's a dietary supplement, it's actually regulated far less strict by the FDA than prescription and over-the-counter drugs, so you might not actually be getting what you think that you're getting. 
also, this I thought was kind of interesting. Over-the-counter melatonin is banned in a lot of places and like modern countries too. So United Kingdom, European Union, Japan, Australia, and most recently Canada has banned over-the-counter melatonin. So this is something that you can get in America, but you can't get just anywhere else. To kind of answer the question that I think a lot of people have is, does melatonin help with insomnia? And as I said before, melatonin is not designed to be a long-term sleep aid. People with insomnia, actually, they have trouble falling asleep, staying asleep, or both. If someone's symptoms are lasting a month or longer, that's chronic insomnia and really when someone would want to get that assessed professionally. Speaking of professionals, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine and the American College of Physicians really both feel strongly that there's not enough evidence on the effectiveness or the safety of melatonin use for chronic insomnia. So similar to cannabis and sleep, the jury's really still out with this. But there's nothing really showing that it's extremely beneficial. And then kind of going off of that insomnia piece, as you had touched upon before, being exposed to light at night also blocks melatonin production. So you can't pop a melatonin and then turn forensic files on and think you're going to fall asleep right after that. That light is really negating the function of melatonin. So with all of that, I guess, like, yeah, that that question that goes along with this, so is melatonin safe to use? So... It sounds like that short-term use of melatonin supplements appears to be safe per the recommendation of most physicians for most people, but information might be lacking on the long-term safety of supplementing with, with melatonin for what's lacking. So the National Institute of Health also has said recently that there's a small but growing number of people who are taking way more than what, what should be prescribed. So usually that five milligram dose is recommended for adults is being heavily used more than that. So you know, by this is not, you know, we are not MDs. So if your physician or someone is recommending you something else, you know, talk with your physician, obviously, but just some of the data that we're finding of, of what's recommended versus what's really happening. Yeah. And here's where it gets problematic. Five milligrams is the recommended dose for short-term use. Half of the pills that are out for melatonin are 10 milligram pills. So if somebody is like, I'll just take two tonight because I'm really, you know, having a hard time sleeping. If you've now taken 20 milligrams of melatonin, but the standard dose is five, there's really just not good information and really, you know, approved dosaging for melatonin. It really is kind of a guessing game and that doesn't always feel safe. Also, just because something's naturally occurring doesn't mean that that's safe either, especially when you're taking those higher doses. There's not enough information about the possible side effects to have a clear picture for safety. There was also a research study done where they analyzed a bunch of different over-the-counter melatonin pills, and the content of melatonin varied from 83% less than advertised to 478% more than what was listed on the label. Yeah. Yeah. And then the side effects from taking too much melatonin. So if you find that you're taking it and experiencing a headache, dizziness, nausea, drowsiness, cramping in the stomach, irritability and anxiety, you know, those are all side effects of melatonin. And it's interesting, as I say that out loud, sometimes those are side effects of also being sleep deprived. So it's the snake eating its tail. And again, sometimes what you're buying isn't necessarily on the label. And again, your guess is as good as mine. Speaking of safe or things that are not safe, being awake for 17 hours straight. This is according to the CDC, so I'm not just making this up. Being awake for 17 hours is similar to having a BAC of 0.05. Being awake for 24 hours is similar to having a BAC of 0.05. 
0.10. The legal limit for intoxication is 0.08. Yeah. Yeah. So as we said earlier, you could be easily doing a 16-hour day, Mm 17-hour day, 24-hour day sometimes if you're studying for midterms or for finals or, you know, really thinking – how often is that level yeah. happening? Yeah. It's not hard to have a 17-hour day. Like, I'm doing it right now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then maybe so you're tired and you go out drinking or you're tired and you smoke weed or you're just tired and you're driving. Any of those things combined can really be a recipe for disaster. And that's being awake for. So that doesn't necessarily – I think some of what we're talking about are more – like stressful things yes. or at, yep. or physically active things. This could be like you're just having a great time with your friends. I mean, we've been there too. Yeah. You're staying up late. You're talking. You're having a great time. You're laughing. You're still awake. Right. 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 So that's, I think, yeah, important to point out too that, that this, you know, might not feel off or feel bad or feel stressful, but you're still hitting that. Yeah. Is it true that our bodies can only adapt to a few hours of sleep or is that something I'm telling myself? <laughs> no, I, I think it's absolutely a myth. I think with what you you just pointed out about that 17 hours or 24 hours, I think that we get we tell ourselves like, okay, I'm going off of five hours of sleep. Yeah. I've just gotten used to it. All right, you're functioning, you're moving. Doesn't mean you're healthy or as healthy as you can be, right? It doesn't mean that there aren't some negative effects that are coming along with that deprivation. So definitely Mythbusters here. I don't think that's true at all. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) (laughs) But but then thinking with that, you know, how does that lack of sleep impact our day to day? Like Marissa said, I mean, thinking 17 to 24 hours, the impact that can have our amygdala and our brain, which typically responds to threats and survival. That's what its job is, becomes slowed down the more that we are with a lack of sleep. So this can also lead to brain fog, trouble focusing, trouble remembering, a slowed attention span, um, problems with, you know, difficulty problem solving, uh, having a slower response physically. Also our hormones, we might have a lowered sex drive. So again, thinking of our student population, these are all pretty important things, right? On your day to day. (laughs) Right. So these are things that if you're noticing they're impacted, really thinking about where your sleep is at. Um, and our brain also, it just it can't develop new pathways. So our neurons and our nervous system, they're just not being fired, right? They're not remembering to store new information or they're not passing information along. So not only are you waking up grumpy or <laughs> struggling, you're really at a significant disadvantage when it comes to studying, just yeah. skill building, muscle mass building, all of those things. So really all parts of our daily life. Right. So what's the silver lining to all of this? Because we kind of set it up to be pretty bleak so far. (laughs) You do have more control than you think over your sleeping habits. Sometimes it truly just takes some actual behavior change and doing the hard work. But there's also some basic sleep hygiene. Absolutely. I think, and again, I have to practice these more myself. But this is something where, you know, like tonight, you could do one of these and it truly might make a difference. Yeah, see what works for you. Right. If you add an hour, that's an hour more of your brain being able to process make those neural pathways right, it will make a difference. So first, maybe look at developing a sleep routine. (laughs) So like everything else, what works for one person might not work for someone else. But really thinking about these things we're about to talk about and kind of pinpointing specifically for you, what could a new routine look like? First and foremost, maybe turning off the lights, no screens. We just talked a little bit about how that is much easier said than done. 
but really thinking about, you know, at what point can you maybe put your phone on your nightstand away from you, turn off the TV, maybe also thinking like if, if this is maybe some harm reduction, <laughs> if you need to yeah. think about, you know, I'm if not you ready need to watch housewives, like- right. Or you need <laughs> to have your phone out maybe blue light glasses or there's dimming uh, features on your cell phone you mm-hmm. can do. So at least it's not the brightest light. It does turn it down. The more dim light or no light, the more it will cue your body's natural response of melatonin and other factors to to fall asleep. Also, maybe taking a hot shower or a bath before bed. Sometimes that's just, it relaxes your muscles. The hot water feels nice. It can really just relax you. Having some hot tea or, you know, some decaf tea. I know typically there, you know, it's not like you're drinking that caramel macchiato or a monster right. drink, but the amount of caffeine is much more limited, especially if you're doing decaf. Reading a book or doing something to wind down your brain that doesn't involve a screen. So read your textbooks. I mean, like, I'll put you Do to your sleep. homework. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I found that sometimes with a book too, I'll be so mad at myself because I'll fall asleep on the same page for like a month. I'm like, I'm not getting anywhere in this book, but that's, it, it's working to help. Yes. Me sleep. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> so maybe my intent is yeah. to read that book is right. to fall asleep to that book. <laughs> also, you know, trying to move around during the day. Another easier said thing than done is exercise. It tires you out, but it, it's true. You know, being physically active absolutely can tire our body out and make us fall asleep. Avoiding large meals, caffeine and alcohol before bedtime. Um, sometimes just a large meal, you know, and sometimes like we're full and we want to fall asleep. I know like I'm thinking Thanksgiving, right? There are times where we maybe do eat large meals and we, we could just doze right off. We could fall asleep. I think I feel this sometimes, you know, after after lunch sometimes even. Yeah. Or like eating in bed. Like, And I know that can be really tough if you're in like a residence hall and you don't have multiple rooms to go to, but snacking in bed sometimes can be detrimental. Right. It, it kind of it signals to our body, okay, we have to digest now, right? Like your, your body is still actively doing things. Yeah. So that's why, you know, avoiding that as much as possible. Um, also journaling, I think, again, a big part of REM cycle and sleep is to process our thoughts. So before you fall asleep, if maybe you're, you're feeling anxious or just kind of ruminating or, or continuously going through certain thoughts of what happened during the day why did I say that or what what do I want to say to that person what am I feeling journal you know a lot of the times getting it out on paper does feel like it's getting it out of your brain so it can really leave more of an active space in your mind where it feels quiet and calm and you can go to sleep sometimes it's hard to fall asleep to quiet so having a fan on or a white noise machine even listening to guided meditations if you're unable to fall asleep to silence. So there are some great meditations that are free on YouTube that walk you through, you know, either deep breathing or visualizations. You know, you're on a beach, you're somewhere relaxing. So you can absolutely give those a try too. If maybe, again, screen down, (laughs) you're not watching the beach, but just listening to some of that can be really soothing. And then along with, with soothing, you know, practicing grounding exercises. So if you're trouble falling asleep or if you're waking up from a stressful dream, the wonderful thing about grounding exercises are they ground you. Literally, they bring you back to the present moment. So an easy way to practice that is using your five senses. So, you know, I know you might be in the dark, but something you can see. Maybe there's a clock. Maybe there's a light somewhere, um, something you can hear. Maybe it's that fan. Maybe it's your roommate snoring. Maybe it's, you know, something down the hall. Um, taste. I know that can be another hard one at night. Um, texture, 
your pajamas, your blanket, right? And again, you don't have to have all the skills, all of the um, five senses to do this, even just one. I think it can bring you back to that present moment, just letting you know, I'm okay. It was just a dream. Like it, it reminds our fight or flight in our body to calm down and that we are safe. We've scanned our surroundings. And if you've tried these strategies and none of them are helpful, try again. (laughs) (laughs) It takes practice. Yeah. You gotta, you you gotta see what works for you. And just because one night you had some decaf tea doesn't mean it's going to undo the 18 years of, you know, poor sleep hygiene that you may have. But if none of these strategies are helpful and you've really given a solid effort, it might be time to seek out some professional help. So we hope that you were able to take some things away from this episode. If you fell asleep to this episode, you're welcome. Yes. I will <laughs> take it as a success. I've been told I have a really soothing voice to fall asleep. <laughs> no, nobody's ever said that to me. It's kind of like Fran Drescher, I guess. But anyway, thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you all next time.